Well, listen, let me ask you guys a question as we jump into week number three of this series entitled The Core. Now, if you've not been here, let me just tell you what this is about. The core is the core to who we are. Here at Faith Church, it's what we believe, it's, it's, it's how we live, it's how we operate. When I say what we believe, it's, it's not so much our doctrine. You know, we, we believe the Bible's true. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We, you know, all of that is, is true, but it's kind of like what drives us. Like how we do church, what's, where do we spend our money, how do we drive our budgets and our calendars. The core is for you, if you're a regular attender here, is just a great reminder to say, hey, this is, this is what my church is about. Like, this is, this is where I'm on board. This is, this is how I want to be a part of what God's doing at Faith Church. And if you're new here, maybe you're looking for a church, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've never been to church and you're just trying to figure out what church is even about, this is a great time for you just to kind of get an inside scoop and say, hey, is that something that I want to be a part of? So whether you're new or whether you've been here a long time, the core is, again, just a bird's eye view of who we are, what we're about, what drives us, what our passions are. And so we've been saying this, that our four core values, and you see them, they're in our, they're in our, four, uh, in our foyer. We keep them in our, in our conference room. They're on most of our literature. Our four core values are reach, connect, grow, and serve. Here at Faith Church, we are interested not so much in the insider as we are the outsider. If you want an insider church, they're located all over Florence, Alabama, in the Shoals. But we are a church that's interested about people who don't know God, who are far from God, who Jesus died for to come to Christ. And so we are persistent on pursuing people who are far from Jesus. We want to reach lost people. Not only that, but we want to connect. This is what we're going to talk about today. We think it's important that you find a group of people that you can connect with, that you can do life with, that you can, like people who have your back and you have theirs. That's important. Last week, we talked about, um, in the last two weeks, we've talked about serving, that we believe that God's created us to serve, that God's given you gifts and passions and talents, and ultimately, when you use what God's given you, that you bring glory to him, that you influence people's eternity, and you set yourself up for reward in heaven. And that's huge. We say it this way, that saved people serve people. That the reason you came to Christ is because somebody served you and because we want to see other people come to Christ, we're willing to serve people. And so I just want to give a big shout out and thank about seven or 800 people that showed out uh, this past um, Wednesday and Saturday for serve training. Thank you for signing a serve card. Thank you for getting involved. Man, that's, that's some church family right there. It was great, 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 great weekend. So again, man, these, these four core values, reach, connect, grow, and serve. We think it's important that you grow in your spiritual journey, that healthy people grow, that if you love Christ and you're in a relationship with God, like we should be growing, we should be moving forward in our spiritual journey. So today, again, as we get into week three in connect, I just want you to open your heart, I want you to open your ears, but let me ask this question. Have you ever made a commitment to yourself and violated that commitment? Have you ever, like, really decided you're going to start doing something and, and didn't do it? You know, I've been on this platform, been the pastor here for the last four and a half years, and you guys, especially for you that have been here, like, you know, and I'm honest with it, and it just is what it is. Like, I just struggle with my weight. I, I hate it. I'd like to tell you I don't, but you would know that I'm lying. Like, I just make these commitments. Okay, like, I, and so, you know, like, I've just been on a roller coaster for, like, the last five years. Like, I gain weight, and then I lose weight, and then I gain weight again. Like, I feel like Oprah Winfrey, you know? It's just like, ah. You know, but, like, I'll, I'll hit these phases, and I'm like, that's it. Like, and I just get committed. Like, you know, I'm going to start eating healthy right after this brownie batter blizzard. You know, come on, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to start, like, I'm going to start losing weight right after five guys, burgers and fries. Yeah. 
How can you lose weight with five guys, burgers and fries in town? They got to shut down or I'm stuck right here. This is it. Right? Has anybody made these kind of commitments? Like for me, I think like I make these commitments. Okay, like that's it. I'm going to get back in the gym next Monday. It's just, you know, man, it's just these challenges where, you know, like I just reach this place where, you know, I'll make some commitments and I'll keep them for a while and then I break them for a while. And it's, it's not just with weight and being healthy. You know, sometimes I'll make commitments like, you know, I'm not going to text and drive. Like, I'm just not going to do it. It's not healthy. It's dumb. You shouldn't put yourself at risk. You shouldn't put other people at risk until your phone dings. Ding. It could be the president. I better look. You know, and so like we make these commitments, we're just convinced that it's a better way to live. It's some choices that we should make. And in spite of my commitments, in spite of my best efforts, there are times that I don't follow through with what I say. And I just have a a sneaky suspicion that I'm not the only one that sometimes breaks and violates the commitments that we make to ourselves. And if it's, if we know this, like every, every commitment that we make, it starts with information, Right? You get information, and your information can come from different sources. Your information can come like you stepped on a scale. You went and you got a doctor's report. You tried on a pair of jeans that you can't get in anymore. You got some bills in the mail that are past due. You've got some checks that are bouncing. Right? Maybe your marriage is on the rock. Whatever it is, but we get information. Maybe your information comes from an article. Or you sit in a service like this, and you hear a sermon. And so we get information, and what happens is that information turns into a conviction like we feel like based on that information like I need to change like I need to do something about what I just heard and so that information turns into a conviction a passion like something's got to change something's got to be different in my life and that conviction right ultimately turns into a commitment because of what I've heard and because of what I feel this is now what I'm going to do because I stood on a scale and it said oh no not again like, my scale's pithy. It's just like, for real? They don't even give numbers anymore. It's like, ugh. That's all my scale says. Like, so bait, like, we get this information. Our information, we form a conviction. Like, I'm not going to live this way anymore. And then we make commitments. And again, maybe for you, maybe your commitment, maybe your commitment was a diet. Maybe your commitment was a budget. Maybe your commitment was, you know, to get closer to God. Maybe your commitment was to be more regular in church. Maybe your commitment was you know, to do something with your finances. Whatever it is, every one of us in this room, we've all gone through the process of getting information, feeling convictions, setting commitments, and then falling through on those. Like, that's true for every one of us in this room. And the crazy thing is that that's not only true, like, like in these outside peripheral areas of life, like, that is really true in our walk and our relationship with God. Like, if you think about it, you come to church, again, you, you hear a sermon, You sit through a song. You might even cry a little bit. All of a sudden, you feel conviction like, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to start living this way. I choose to walk this direction. You feel conviction, and you walk out of this place every Sunday like with this new commitment. And how many people are honest enough to say that regardless of the information, in spite of the conviction, and it doesn't matter how strong your commitments, you walk out and sometimes fail and fall through and go back on what you committed. Like, that's all of our stories, and we just kind of see it play out over and over and over again. And we just continue to be convinced, especially in the church world, especially in, like, kind of what we do on Sunday mornings, we're just convinced that that if if we have passionate enough convictions and we have strong enough commitments that we're going to be okay. 
And the reality is, if we look at our lives, we just know that that's not what the evidence points to. We just have to kind of bind to the fact that all of us, if, again, if, if, if strong enough convictions, if strong enough commitments were the answer, like we probably would all be doing a lot better in a lot different areas of our lives. But the, the truth is, like, it's not enough. Information's not enough. Conviction, it, it's great, and it's an important part of who we are. It's an important part of, like, what drives our values, what sets up our passions, what helps direct our life. That's important. And commitments are huge. You having personal buy-in into what you want out of life is, is big. But we just have to reach this place that today, that again, that those things are not enough. Because I'm just telling you, everybody in this room, you've, you've had some convictions about what was right and what was wrong. Like you knew that where the boundaries were. You knew what you wanted to do. You knew what you would never do again. And a moment came, a weekend came, a spring break came, and you violated those things, right? And so it's, it's not that you weren't committed, it's not that you didn't have convictions. It's just something like there's a missing component that helps us to be successful in the areas we want to have success in, especially when it comes to our walk and our relationship with God. And so I just want to give you today, again, I'm, I'm going to give you some information. I hope out of this information you feel some conviction. And my prayer today as your pastor is before you walk out of this building, you're going to make a commitment However, this commitment today that I hope each and every one of you make will give you the missing component to help you be successful. And the missing component, the principle I want to talk about today is simply this. You can't do life alone. Everybody say that. I can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. You may feel like you can. You may believe you can. But here's the crazy thing is we read Scripture like we find all the way through Scripture. All the way. It's God's pattern that he sets us up to have people in our life. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that I have great friends. I'd be lost without a lot of good friends that I have in my life. Some of the friends I have here on staff, like, you know, I probably would have given up in ministry if it wasn't for pivotal people in my life bringing me joy. My wife, thank you, Jesus, Lord, for a good wife. Listen, the Bible says he who found a wife found a good thing. I am thankful for my good thing. Anybody here got a good thing? I got a, come on, you need to give your wife some love. My good thing, babe. Like, my good thing. My good thing motivates me, loves me, encourages me, in spite of me, in spite of my struggles. Like, she's on my side, has my back. Like, she's like, and I, I just, I couldn't imagine doing life without my bride by my side. And every one of us in this room, again, God has set you up to say that you can't do life alone. You can try, but when you do life alone, it's that, it's that missing component because you'll still have information. And you'll still make convictions. And you'll still come out and decide that you need to make commitments. But you will find that often we will fail in our commitments because we're trying to do it alone. Again, look at Scripture. Like, all the way from the beginning to the end, God, like, keeps shouting, hey, don't do life alone. You can't do life alone. He makes Adam in a perfect garden, in a perfect world. There's no trouble, no problems. Adam has a perfect relationship with God. And he looks at Adam. He says, Adam, you know what you need? You need somebody who has your, has your back. And God makes this statement, it's not good. Everybody say those words. It's not good for man to be alone. Like God looks at us, he says, you can have a perfect world, you can have a perfect paradise, you can have a perfect relationship with your creator, and it's still not good for you to be alone. You find it all the way through scripture, right? I mean, some of you guys know these, these stories. Moses had Aaron. Jesus had the, had, he had the 12 disciples. 
When Jesus sent the disciples out, he always sent them out in twos. Hey, don't go alone. Make sure you're with somebody. Make sure somebody's on your side. The apostle Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived that did incredible things for God. Do you know he never went anywhere alone? Everywhere he went to preach, every church he went to plan, every, like, every mission journey like he took, he always had someone on his side. And so you see this pattern like over and over and over again. But you find stories where people try to do life alone, like Elijah. Elijah, a great prophet in the Old Testament. You know, one time in his life, he thought he was alone. And that feeling of being alone drove him to the place that he not only wanted to quit, he wanted to commit suicide when he believed he was alone. And so it's like God like, just keeps screaming, hey, don't do life alone. Like, I know you think you can do it, but don't do life alone. And you move into the New Testament, and you find hundreds of scriptures that use these words, each other, together, one another. Like love each other, help each other, encourage one another. In fact, there's five things that are said over and over and over again in the New Testament, which is our model for life. Here, here's what they say over and over and over again. Come on, read these. Encourage one another, love each other, motivate each other, comfort one another, bear one another's burdens. Like, like I look at those and I think, you know, like, how awesome, think about this, how successful would you be in your journey if you had a group of people in your life that were constantly and consistently doing that for you? If you had someone all the time, they're like encouraging you, anybody here get discouraged? Anybody here ever want to give up? Anybody here ever go through a difficult time? Anybody here ever need someone on your side? Imagine if you had a group of two, three, four, five, six people who like constantly did that for you. Like, I'm thinking about comfort, like, like, comfort is my food right now, and food is my comfort. I had a bad week. Anybody here, anybody here emotional eaters? Like, just help me. Please don't leave me up here alone. I called my wife Thursday. I had a bad day Thursday, and typically we eat pretty healthy, and I was like, I'm getting a pizza. And so I went to Rising Crust, heaven. God literally lives in Rising Crust. He sticks his finger in the dough. It's magical. So I sent my wife a text. I'm like, babe, I had a bad day, and I know I shouldn't, but I stopped and got me a pizza. I'm not sure what you want to eat. but and, she's, and she thought I was inviting her in on my pizza. She said, yeah, I had a bad day too. I probably shouldn't, but that sounds good. And I'm like, what sounds good? She's like, have some of your pizza. I'm like, no. I said, I'm, I stopped and got me a pizza. If you want a pizza, you probably need to stop and get you a pizza. You're laughing on the outside, and I'm crying on the inside. But imagine, like, like I, I just think, Im imagine what it would be like. Because here's what I know. Everybody in this room gets discouraged. Everybody gets bummed out. Everybody gets off track. Everybody hits rough patches in life where you feel alone. Everybody at times have burdens and struggles where you feel like, gosh, I can't do this by myself. And so God like screams like through the word, like for us who call ourselves believers, like this is how we should be doing life. You should have a group of people, and you should never try to do life alone. You should find people who are encouraging you, who are loving you, who are motivating you, who are comforting you, and who are helping you bear your burdens. And I just believe that if we would have a group of people like this in our life, that this is the missing ingredient, that in the information we get, in the convictions we feel, in the commitments we make, that this is the missing ingredient that would help us to begin to walk this life out to the way that God wants us to do it. And so let me just ask you a question. Who's in your corner? Who's your one another? 
who's your each other? Who's the person you're together with? Because show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me who you're doing life with, and I'll show you where you're headed. If you're alone, you're in trouble. If you're with the wrong group, you're headed in the wrong direction. But if you can get the right group, if you can get the right set of people who love you and who have your back, and you offer the same to them, I'm just telling you that there is something about that dynamic. You know, I've heard people say this, you know, Pastor Steve, I just don't believe you need to go to church to be a Christian. You can never find anywhere in the Bible any such thing as a churchless Christian. There's no such thing as a churchless Christian. When I say a churchless Christian, I don't mean like coming to a building, though this, this is part of our spiritual journey. When the Bible talks about the church, the Bible's talking about, and, 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 and the Greek word is ekklesia. This, it's this gathering. It's this, it's this group of people that do life together. Like the picture that God gives us is like that we're a body. We're all, we're all hooked together. We're hands and we're feet and we're all like we're meant to do life together. Like the picture is that we're a building. Like and we're bricks and we're mortar and we're windows and we're doors and like we're meant to be together. Like there's no picture in scripture where like there's this guy and he lives over there by himself and there's this girl and she lives over there and he, like she's just trying to figure out life alone. And so there's no such thing as what we've tried to do, and that's live life alone. You cannot live life alone. You cannot do life alone. And so we feel this clarion call. We feel this push, like, to come and, hey, figure this thing out, and let's do it together. Everybody shout together. My challenge and my call to you today, because it's our heartbeat, it's our passion here at Faith Church, is that you'll connect. That you'll find somebody, and we'll help you but you'll find somebody to do life with. So I want to just to look for a few minutes. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at, uh, look at some scripture here that will help us just to understand really how important this is. But I want you just to think about this again. Here in the church, while I'm talking about connect and I'm talking about together, some of you are here and you're sitting here and you've already like discounted. Like You're like, all right, tick-tock, pastor, because I'm not doing what you're saying, so like, you just need to hurry up. Some of you are here and you're making excuses and you're trying to figure out why you can't do this, why you won't do this, why you shouldn't do this. Here's the crazy thing. So God has given us this model to live with each other, together, for one another. And even though this is God's model and it's his prescription, it's his missing ingredient for us to have success, here we sit as Christ followers trying to decide if we want to do it or not. And I want you to know the world, they figured this out. Like this is what the world is doing to be successful. People like in, who want to who get clean, who want to get dry, who want to lose weight, people in Al-Anon, people in AA, people in Weight Watchers, you know what they figured out? Hey, I can't do life alone. I need a sponsor. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody that has my back. One of the greatest things, one of the fastest growing occupations right now in the United States, anybody want to know what it is? Life coaches. Because business people, people want to be successful. You know what they found out? I can't be successful alone. I need someone in my corner. I need someone who has my back. I need someone encouraging me in my goals and in my aspirations. People who want to get healthy, you know what they found out? Like, I can probably try to get to the gym. I can probably maybe try to work out. You know what I need to do? I need to get a personal trainer. Don't anybody send me a number of a personal trainer. I will. <laughs> what I do to you, Jesus will forgive me for. I just want you to know. Just kidding. But again, you look, and it's like the world's doing this. The world's figured out, like, you need people in your corner to help you keep your commitments. And here we are in the church, the ones who should be living this out, and we struggle with whether we want to do it. And so I want us to look at this scripture in Hebrews chapter 3. Here's, here's the story. 
So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of, anybody want to take a guess? A group of Hebrews. These were not like baristas, by the way. These were Jewish people, right? The Christianity, maybe you don't know this, Christianity started out of the Jewish nation. It was always God's plan. God picked one man. His name was Abraham. God brought out of Abraham a nation, the nation of Israel. God introduced himself to the nation of Israel. God blessed the nation of Israel. God was the God of the nation of Israel. Ultimately, out of the nation of Israel came Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was born through that family lineage. But Jesus didn't come just for the Jewish people. Jesus came for the world. But since it started as a Jewish religion, as a Jewish sect, they really struggled early on, like how, how, to, how to match up the Old Testament law with this New Testament grace. Like it used to look like this following God, but now it looks like this. And so the book of Hebrews was written to talk about the greater thing, to talk about something greater, like there's a greater sacrifice. You don't have to kill animals now. Jesus is our greater sacrifice. Come on, somebody. Like you don't have to go to the Old Testament priest. Now we have a greater priest. We have Jesus Christ, who's our high priest. When we pray, you have God in heaven who hears you. And Jesus, the Bible says, is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Come on, you don't need Mary. You don't need a priest in a box. All we need is Jesus. Like there's something greater because Jesus came. And so you read the book of Hebrews and like this is the theme. It's, it's kind of this, hey, this, this new life, this is what this new life looks like. And here's the challenge of what we're about to read is, is we all deal with a hard heart. Come on. Like, we all deal with a hard heart, and kind of here's the picture. Is our heart, like the inside of who we are, not our blood-pumping muscle, but like, like our soul, our passion, it needs to be malleable. Like, that when God speaks to us, like, we feel conviction. Like, when God challenges us, like, like we realize, like, that's probably not right. And God wants to come and shape our hearts and shape our lives and shape our convictions. But if our heart gets hard, like, if you keep telling God no and we just keep resisting the Holy Spirit who convicts us, if we keep turning our back on what we know to be true, like your heart gets hard. And all of a sudden that conviction stops getting a little less strong, a little less powerful. And that voice starts getting a little more quiet. And because we can't really be successful without the voice of God leading us, the scriptures we're about to read is, hey, be careful that your heart doesn't get hard. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 3 says, this is why the Holy Spirit says, come on, I want you to read this with me. This is a quote, verse 7 to 11 is a quote out of Psalm 95. Listen to what he says, every voice. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Come on, say that. Don't harden your hearts. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. Stop. So the writer of Hebrews is writing a scripture out of Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 is pointing all the way back to when the nation of Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And God did like crazy stuff, like, like God calls water to come from a rock. I mean, I, maybe y'all can do that, but enough to give water to a million people and all their animals. Every day they woke up and there were donuts from heaven on the ground. Like it was a Krispy Kreme-a-thon, like it was like food to eat every day. When they complained because they got tired of all the bread, you know what, God, we want meat. Quail just showed up. Like, God just constantly provided. God not only provided their physical needs, God not only provided their food, God protected them. And in the midst of God doing all these amazing things, their heart just kept getting hard. And so the writer's saying, hey, 
our ancestors allowed their hearts to get hard towards God. Don't you do the same thing. Keep going, verse 11 or verse 10. Keep reading. He says, so I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me and they refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. Now, now listen, remember the journey. So we get information. That information brings us to a place of conviction. And out of that conviction, we make a commitment that we're going to change. This right here is information. Like they're reading and they're saying, okay, you have ancestors, and God did great things for your ancestors, and in spite of what God did, they still harden their hearts. And like we, re- I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I'm thinking, God, I don't want my heart to get hard. Like God, I, like God, I help me. I, whatever it takes, God, I don't want to get away from you. Like I don't want to stop hearing your voice. It's like what David prayed, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Like, God, whatever it takes. And so, like, I, I got this information. Now I got a conviction. God, I, I need to do something with this. Well, the next verse goes from the conviction to the commitment. Watch this, verse 12. Come on, read it with me. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that, come on, y'all got to say this. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. He's saying, hey, you had ancestors who heart, whose hearts got hard. That's our information. Like, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm going to make a commitment. I'm not going to let my heart get hard towards the Lord. How many people here would say, like, God, I, God help me. I don't want my heart to get hard towards you. Come on. Because it can happen in this world. You can go through a tough season. You can lose a loved one. You can allow yourself to slip off into things that pull you away from God. Every one of us in this room, we run the risk of getting a hardened heart. And I'm like, God, don't let that happen to me. So we got information. And we got conviction. And we got commitment. But that's not enough. Verse 13 is the missing ingredient that every one of us in this room need. Here's how we do it. Verse 13, come on, read it with me. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. He's saying, you know what the secret ingredient is? You know how you keep the commitment of not getting a hard heart? You need to do it with somebody else. You need to pull someone else into your life. You need, to get, you need to get invested in a relationship with someone who can challenge you, someone who can speak the truth to you. Listen, I'm just telling you, a good friend isn't somebody who tells you what you want to hear. A good friend is somebody who tells you what you don't want to hear. A good friend is someone who gets up in your chili and tells you maybe what's going to hurt your feeling, but what's going to help you. Who tells you, hey, you're going down the wrong path. Hey, you're headed to a place that's not going to help you. I'm just telling you, we all need people on our side that when we're ready to give up, like they keep pushing us and they keep cheerleading us and they keep challenging us everybody needs each other everybody needs somebody to keep us in this journey and so who's your somebody here's here's a picture of all of our lives i want you to think of it this way everybody in this room we have a we have a public life we have a public life i have a public life my public life is what we both know it's what I know and what you know. So you know my name. You know I'm married. Some of you have been here long enough. You know I have three kids. You know I like to eat. Like there's things you know about me. There's things you know that are good, and there's things you know that are bad. So I have a public life that everybody knows about, things I know and things you know. You have a public life. There's things that everybody knows about you, like it's not a secret. But not only do we have a public life, everybody in this room, like me, I have a private life. You know what your private life is? Your private life is what I know, but you don't know. Because while you know a lot of stuff about me, there's stuff you don't know. 
There's dirty, dark secrets you don't know. There's aspirations and dreams I've never shared. And even though we might be close, some of us are closer than others, even though you might be a relatively close friend of mine, there's things you don't know about me. And so I have a public life and I have a private life. There's things that we all know and there's things that only I know. But here's what's important, and this is true for everybody in this room. Every one of us in this room, we have a pitfall life. Has anybody ever seen somebody really smart make a really dumb decision? Wave at me. Like, you can see it coming. Like, you got a girlfriend, and she starts dating this guy, and everybody knows the dude is a chucklehead. Everybody knows he's bad news. Like, you got eight friends that broke up with this clown, and you got this new friend. She's like, isn't he awesome? No, he's not awesome. And you can see where the relationship's going. Anybody, it's like, anybody here have a friend, and they make a decision, and it's like watching a movie, and you already know how it's going to end. Like, it's a train headed for destruction. Like, you know it's going to end bad. And here's the crazy thing is, you can see it, but they can't. I want everybody here to know something. This is true. That there are things in our pitfall life, what I don't know, but you know. Everybody, this is true with people you're close to. You have perception and insight into their life that they don't have about themselves. We all in this room, we have, we have blind spots. We have things we're not aware of. We have decisions that we're making that feel good, that look good, but we always have somebody in our circle of influence that can tell us, hey, that's not a good idea. Hey, that's a bad decision. And this is why, this is why Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says warn each other. Do you know what the word warn means? It's a picture of a path, like, because this is what, what it's called to, right? The Bible calls Christianity the way. Like, we weren't called Christians in the beginning. This, is, this wasn't called Christianity in the beginning. In the early stages of Jesus dying and raising from the dead, in the gospel being preached, it was called the way. And when you live for Jesus and you followed his path, you were following the way. So you were on a path. And when the Bible says, go back to, real quick, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. When the Bible tells us this, you must warn each other every day. The word warn means to call back onto the path. It's like you know somebody and you see somebody and they're making some decisions and they're getting off the path. Come on, help. Anybody here ever see a friend get off the path? Like as a pastor, listen, I've seen it happen for 23 years. People show up, they get saved, they get baptized, they start giving an offerings, they start serving, but they get mixed up with the wrong people, the wrong decision, the wrong life, and they get off the path and no one's close enough to call them back. And so the Bible says, hey, you need a, you need a somebody that when you get off the path, is close enough to call you back. Listen, I, I, I got a secret for you. I love you. As your pastor, I counted a privilege to be your shepherd. But I'm not close to almost anybody in this room to personally call you back. So if you're hoping sitting in rows on Sunday morning is enough for me to warn you, it's not. You need somebody to sit in a circle. You need somebody that's sitting in small, tight groups who has your ear, who knows your life, who sees where you're living, that can warn you when you get off the path. See, because we need people like that because it happens. I had a friend call me. We've been best friends years. I, we, we became best friends. I was in fourth grade. He's in fifth grade. We are still best friends to this day. Great friend of mine. He knows, he knows more about me probably than everybody besides my wife. I know more about him, probably the same is true. Like we know the dirty, dark secrets of our lives. 
he's a runner. He's, he's, run, he, he, he's always been much smaller than me. He's always been a runner. Went in the military, went in the Marines. He was over in Operation Desert Storm, came out of the Marines. He's always been a runner now. He runs races and 5Ks and marathons. He's run 50-mile off-road races, which you need medication if you want to run 50 miles off-road in my book. Like when he tells me, yeah, I'm running a 50-mile off-road, I'm like, why? Is your car broke down? Do you need a ride? Where, where are you going? And so, you know, again, it, it's important. So he understands, you know, in order to be successful running, he got some running partners. He got people to run with. And I'll never forget the day. It was about seven years ago. He called me on the phone. As soon as the phone rang, I don't know, in my heart, in my spirit, I knew it wasn't a good phone call. And he got on the phone. He said, hey, Steve, he said, man, I just want to talk to you about something. Do you have a minute? And I said, man, absolutely. What's going on? He said, well, he said, man, I've been training for a run. And he said, there's two people that I've been running with. It's a guy and a girl. Not, nobody's together, but just a friend guy and a friend girl. And he said, we've been running together to train. And he said, the guy switched shifts at work and he can't run with us anymore. And so it's just me and this girl running. And my wife has a problem with it. And I just, he said, man, I value your opinion. What do you think? Like, we're just running. Like, like, do you think there's a problem? Do you think I should listen to my wife? If, you're, if, you're, if you ever have this question, guys, pull, y'all pull in. If you ever ask the question, should I listen to my wife? The answer is, come on, yes. I'm telling you, wives can see things. Like, I didn't like this at first, and I didn't like to believe this, but wives can see things that you'll never see about yourself. And you'll, I'm telling you, wives can sniff out the motives of skanks <laughs> trying to get up in your biz. I'm telling you, believe that. Believe that. So, so he asked me, he's like, hey, hey, Steve, so, so do you see this as a problem? Do you, like, is this a problem for me to run with this girl? Like, we're just running. And the fact that his wife said that he shouldn't was enough, should have been enough. But I'm like, listen, don't run alone with this girl. But he lived, he lived several hours away. Like, I wasn't constantly connected to him. And he chose, in spite of what I said, and I could see it coming 100 miles away. About two months later, I got a phone call from him. Anybody want to take a guess what happened? I seen it. His wife seen it. Everybody probably close to him could see what was going to happen. And all he could see is what he wanted to see. Everybody in this room, listen to me. You have a pitfall life. You have areas of weakness and areas that struggle, areas that are going to get you off the path, and you need somebody bold enough, brave enough, close enough to warn you and call you back. See, we all sin, we all struggle, and that's okay. But here's the difference. The Bible says that in your sin, that we can confess our sins one to another, that you might be healed. Isn't that beautiful? So I want you real quick to confess your sin to the person next to you. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Some of you actually looked over like... Lean in real close. I don't want anybody else to hear. <laughs> like, it's, it's never going to happen here. But you need somebody you're close enough to that you can be honest with. Because here's the deal. You can either get blindsided for good or sidelined for a moment. It's your choice. You can either have, you can either have some private healing from your sin or you can have public humiliation. Because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So the junk that's trying to harden your heart, the stuff that's trying to pull you off the path, it's going to come out. 
So we can either come out in a small group of friends and say, hey, here's where I'm struggling. Like I'm dealing with pornography. Like I'm, I'm tempted at work to like fudge bottom lines. Like I got some, you know, I got some things like, man, I'm really dealing with anger. Like, or I got some dreams and I got, and I don't think I can do it. I need somebody to encourage me. Like either you got a group of friends, you got, a, you got some each others and you got some one another's that are gonna help you do this or you don't. And it is the difference, I believe, Listen to me, information is not enough. What's happening in this room is not enough. Every week I hear Pastor, Pastor, this is such a great message. You couldn't even tell me two weeks from now what I preached on. Pastor, I cried during service. That's awesome. I love, I love that you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's important. But your tears that you cry on a Sunday morning, bad news for you, not enough. Commitment, you can commit till Jesus comes, and most of you will, and it will not be enough. It's until you get vulnerable enough and open enough to let people in your life that you're honest enough to say, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm dreaming, help me get there. And you'll do the same for someone else. That is the secret recipe to success in our spiritual journey. It's somebody else in your life. So here's what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 10, real quick, as we get ready to wrap this up. Let me give you one more. We all have our potential life. Back up. We all have the potential life. So again, we have things that all of us know. We have things that, that I know that you don't. We have things that you know that I don't. You, you're aware of some of my pitfalls and struggles. But we all have a potential life, stuff nobody really knows right now. But if we'll live life together, man, it'll start to come out. And we start dreaming big dreams for God. Hebrews chapter 10, real quick, listen to this. Come on, one more verse, read it with me. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. Stop. So here, here's what Bible says. Hey, hey guys. I want you to I want you to think about how you can do this. Think about how you can be successful. As your pastor, we've thought about it. And our answer is small groups. Now, I, I can hear some of you, because some of you have been in church long enough, or you've been in this area long enough, and this is your answer. Well, I tried small groups, and they don't work. Well, then you didn't really try them right. Because I've heard people say, well, I tried Jesus, and he didn't work. Well, you didn't try him right. Because I'm telling you right now, Jesus works. Like, I, listen, listen. Y'all are smart people. Hey, I tried dieting. It didn't work. Ain't nobody buying that. I mean, I tried dieting, then at night I tried some five guys. It didn't work. Like, I'm just telling you, you know how I know small groups work? Because it's the New Testament model of the church. It's God's idea, not my idea. Here's something. If you guys have been in church, some of you have been in this church for years and years. Let me, in on you, let, me let you in on a little, little, little secret I found out the other day I thought it was pretty cool. C.P. Melton, who established this church, the father of Brother Henry, who was the pastor of this church for over 40 years, his father established this church. You know what I just found out the other day? His dad got saved. The founding pastor of this church got saved in a small group, got called to ministry in a small group. Not in, not in, not in rows, in a circle. Not in a big church service, in a small group of friends that loved him, encouraged him, and hurt his heart and motivated him to follow his dreams. That's why we're here today. That's why we're in this building, because of a small group. So, so let us think of some ways. Our ways right here are small groups. Last verse. Come on, everyone shout this. Verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's saying, you don't even need to think about a way. I'm going to give you the way. Keep meeting together, 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 each other, one another. Here's a funny thing in a church this large. You can stop coming here. And I know people don't want to hear this. And some of you are like, that's why I don't go to churches that big. You could quit coming here and I probably would never know it. 
I know people don't want to hear that. But, but here, listen, don't get mad and don't leave. That's not my fault. Because here's the good thing about a big church. You can come and hide out and nobody ever know you're here. I want to encourage you to put it on yourself to find relationships where you're accountable, where people love you and help you. And if you go missing, boop, 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 boop. Hey, what's up, girl? Notice you wasn't in church today. What's going on? Because here's what I found out. When someone starts missing church, something's going on. When people stop giving, something's going on. When people quit serving, something's going on. And you need somebody that has your back that's close enough to you that can see when that's happening. So our answer, small groups. You need to let people in your life that know when you're struggling, that know when you're off the path, when you're off the way. There's a story about four years ago, a young boy from Ohio, about an hour from where I grew up, there was a little neighborhood home. The grass was overgrown. It had been boarded up for a long time. And so this little kid, man, he was curious. He broke into this house, not to steal anything, like he was just curious what was in there. Broke into this house. Unbeknownst to him, he had the scare of his life because you know what he found in this house? He found a man that had been mummified because he had been dead in this house. True story, in Ohio. He'd been dead in his house for five years and nobody knew he was dead. He, wasn't cl- he didn't have any friends. He didn't have any family. He was dead and nobody knew it for five years. Like when I hear that, it breaks my heart. He didn't have anybody in his corner. So here's the call today. Is we're ready to close today. I'm gonna pray in a minute, but here's the challenge. When you walk out of this room, I wanna encourage you to take about 15 or 20 minutes. People will still take care of your kids if you have kids back there. I know you're busy. I know you're hungry. I know you got stuff to do. The most important thing you can do is not get more information, not feel more conviction, and not make more commitments. The most important thing you can do is make a decision today to not do life alone. We've given you a platform in our gymnasium. We have 40 tables set up, 40 people who said, hey, I'm willing to be your partner. I'm willing to be the person in your life. We do small groups here at Faith Church. We have Bible studies. We have interest-based groups. We have groups that run together. We have groups that pray together. We have something for everybody, groups that meet in homes, groups that meet in parks, groups that meet Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it doesn't matter what's convenient for you. We have a group that fits you. I want to encourage you, before you leave today, take a walk through our gym. Hopefully, maybe you read our online directory and you have an idea. If you don't, we have forms you can look at and it'll tell you everything that's going on. Meet a small group leader, and before you leave today, I want to challenge you. If you're a member here, it's what you committed to do when you became a member to help us fulfill our core values. I want to encourage you before you leave, get connected to a connect group. Our, 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 we, we run in semesters. Our semester will start in September. It'll run through the end of December. They meet most of them every other, every other week, two times a month. An opportunity for you to build relationships, get people in your life, and you to be in theirs. So I want to pray for you, okay? You all bow your heads and your hearts. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that, God, you've given us the answer, Lord. We need people that help us. We need people in our corner. And so, Father, I pray for the ones in this room that are lonely. I pray for the ones in this room that feel, God, like nobody's on their corner. I pray for the ones that, God, have friends, but they're not the friends they need. I pray in Jesus' name today we would hear your plan for success in life. And that's somebody else in our corner. So, Holy Spirit, I pray, God, convict us to let down our walls and to allow people to be in our lives, to make time in our busy schedules for this important spiritual discipline, to intentionally spend time with other people. So Holy Spirit, I pray, God, help them not to hear my voice but yours, not to do my will but yours. And Father, have the success you want us to have.